0: Sister Kelly in the back, and also if you'd be turning to John chapter 19, John chapter 19, as you look at your handout here, um, we're going to be going through here, what I'm going to be doing, Lord willing, over these next uh, four weeks is a study of Roman Catholicism. Uh, before I begin that, I do, I, we had a thank you card last week, but I would once again, on the behalf of Shannon and myself, thank each and every one of you, from my heart to you, for uh, your prayers, your cards, your well wishes, all, all of that it meant. And it is true, when uh, when you know that God's people are praying for you, that makes a difference. There's a peace there. There's a settled when you know that... Uh, even the doctor itself, <clears throat> doctor asked me about his skills. I, I told him, I said, listen, <clears throat> I, uh, I appreciate your training. I appreciate your skills. But I said, my trust is in the great physician who heals the sick. And uh, I don't know how, what he felt about that, but I just told him the truth. <laughs> so there you go. And I feel especially close, I think, of my sister right here. And I'm uh, going to be praying for you that uh, things get done quickly and properly, and you'll be feeling better. So with that in mind... Um, last december the 18th 2023 uh, the present pope of the roman catholic church uh, pope francis uh, made a declaration as the pope that uh, he was telling the priests the bishops of his church that the time had come for the church not to be so narrow not to be so rigid and to offer uh, blessings upon same-sex couples all right this is a sign of an indicator of that church is not really a church at all. And there has been a, uh, an increase in the tempo over the last 20 years in the ecumenical movement, the World Council of Churches, that mainline denomination Protestants, the Eastern Orthodox, indeed Uh, evangelicals who should know better kind of like the spirit of Jehoshaphat that they're they're starting this idea that it's time to put the differences aside you know those differences weren't major differences anyway and it's time to once again join up again with Roman and and, uh, be a a unified Christian body. That thought by the way in case you're wondering would come right out of the pit of hell. Uh, So what we're going to do these next uh, four weeks is today we're going to be looking at the very core of Roman Catholicism. We're going to be talking about what we call uh, the Lord's Table or the Lord's Supper, what they call the Sacrament of Holy Eucharist. In the next following three weeks, next week we're going to be checking what the Bible says, as opposed to Vatican City, on the area of authority. That's next Sunday, if you can make that. The following Sunday we're going to be looking at the different positions of what the Bible says and what the Church of Rome says about salvation. That ought to be something, you know, a little bit basic. And then finally, the last Sunday of this uh, series, we're going to be looking at the differences between the two on worship. And when you get those sheets, I uh, I have a just happen to have a pocket-sized Roman Catholic catechism here. i have to find a really big pocket, but 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 here it is. And uh then I have a Roman Catholic Bible here. <laughs> <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> so uh you can look at the King James, and but I just want to read out of this, because the reason I want to read out when we get there is to show you. Even out of their Bible, it tells them that they're wrong. Okay, they say, well, you got your Bible, you got that Protestant Bible. No, 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 Okay, have got your fake Bible. I mean, I got your Bible. So, please understand then, why are we doing this? Why not some other denomination and why other group? There's 8 billion people on planet Earth. One out of every eight people on planet Earth is identified with the Roman Catholic Church. Worldwide, the Roman Catholic Church represents 1,200,000,000 people. Now, not all of them are devoted and understand things. A lot of them are nominal or like sheep led to the slaughter. They don't really understand. They were raised that way. They're told it's the one true church started by Jesus. and, And so they're there nominally but they're still aligned with Rome. There's over 70 million Roman Catholics in the United States of America. By denominational label, they far outpace the next largest one, which would be the Southern Baptists. The Southern Baptists in the United States, depending on which statistics you look at, is somewhere between 16 to 20 million, which is a lot of people, but it's, not 72 million people. And so, this is what we're going to do, and as I said, we want to look today at the essence, the core, and I will say what it is. It is a false, counterfeit faith. In some circles, that would be considered hateful. I'm telling you the truth based on the Word of God. The Roman Catholic Church, let me say it again, is theologically, in reality, It's not a church at all. The tenets, the orthodox, fundamental, foundational tenets of the Bible, to be able to be defined as Christian, Rome would not come anywhere near. And so this is the essence of the Mass, Holy Eucharist. And uh, that word Eucharist means in Greek, grateful and thankful. It'd be their equivalence of what we're going to celebrate tonight, the Lord's Table or the Lord's Supper. So, this is entitled, as you see, In Remembrance of Me, the Biblical Record, The Lord's Table. At the end of this time, I'm going to try to squeeze in, as you see where there's a a line of demarcation, the Romanist rejection of the truth of the Bible in their sacrament. It's the third sacrament of the seven sacraments that Rome holds, Holy Eucharist. At that time, I'll read from a Roman Catholic Dictionary, and from the Roman Catholic Catechism uh, that was presented and uh, produced and published in 1994 uh, by then Pope Pope John Paul II, who is canonized and is now Pope Saint John Paul II. So big deal. We're all saints in here are born again. You know, just, here we are. Nobody knows about us, and we're the real saints. And he's been made a saint, and probably is not. Let's start. Let's go to John 19:13 now. Here's what we do before. I don't want this to be a lecture. We need to be brisk. We need to, you know, look at it. But we need to be about our business. I always love to hear from the folks, brothers and sisters. So if you'd say, I'd like to read this verse, or after I say what I'm going to say, if you'd have a question or a comment, please put up your hand quickly. Don't be shy, okay? Don't be like me, <clears throat> you know? <laughs> just, just go for it. Okay, Kelly, that's enough laughing from you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Are you there in John 19, 30? Anybody want to read that? All right, go for it, Nat.
1: When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost.
0: Thank you very much. Now, one thing i got to tell you ahead of time, because there might be a lot of you, or some of you in here, that don't know a lot about Roman Catholicism. How many of you would know that what he just said, it is finished, it's completed, it's been accomplished? that in the Roman Catholic system, when you're talking about the Lord's Table or Holy Eucharist, it continues. It's ongoing. If you, if you know that, if you've heard that, raise your hand. Okay, if you've never heard that before, that's a very important distinction. They believe that the crucifixion, now they will tell you in, in their documents that it's still the same sacrifice that took place on that day But it is constantly renewed in an ongoing, never-ending manner in each Roman Catholic Mass, at a part of the Mass called the Consecration, where the priest lifts the bread and it turns into the body of Christ. Then the priest puts up the cup of wine and it turns sacramentally into the blood of Christ. So they say that it continues, that it's ongoing. Did you hear that word, continue or ongoing, with what Brother Nat said? No, no, John 19 and 30, let's just look at it real quickly because we have to move along. It's finished. It's completed. It's done. It's accomplished once for all. We're going to see that over and over and over again. Uh, I'm just turning back here just for a moment. I just want you to listen about what was Christ's attitude towards the crucifixion. You may recall, now he was willing to do it. But if you recall that night before in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was in so much agony and torture and pain. From just the thought of being separated from his father, that he called out in desperation, saying, "Isn't there any other way this work could be accomplished? Is, his father, is there possibly some plan B?" Now, it's not that he was unwilling; he was willing, but that shows in his humanity. It wasn't something. Notice what it's, I'll just read here: Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him, he knew what it was going to accomplish. That's why he stayed true to that mission. That's why he came. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. When he said it was finished, he said this, that I have vindicated the holiness of my Father. I've paid for all sin. That I've defeated Satan. That I've defeated sin. And I've defeated death. And by my perfect death and the resurrection on Sunday morning, I will reestablish the veil will be dropped. And one more, there is a way through me for human beings, men and women, to renew relationship and fellowship with the Heavenly Father. That was the joy that was set before him. But the verse doesn't end there. Let's just look on. Set before him, endured. That's not the word enjoyed. He endured the cross, despising the shame. He was ridiculed, and as he was hanging on that cross, he was nude. The Jews were very, very big on modesty. The shame, the one who tells us to dress modestly, the Son of God, is hanging naked on a cross, and he's being ridiculed. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When Jesus said in 1930, as Brother Ed, it is finished, he was thrilled that it was finished. The work was done. Anybody want to say we need to move on quickly? But just the thought. Nothing ongoing. Nothing continuous about it. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. This is uh, what I'm going to do. This is on the table behind us. This do in remembrance of me. The idea of remembering something means of necessity. It is something that has been accomplished in the past. Now something also to notice about this when we read it here now, beginning in verse 23, is just the idea here of when, who, and what. For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Even though he was doing it presently at the time when it took place that night, Paul later on says from the vantage point of history, Remember, This is in remembrance of me. The focus is not on what... We're going to have the Lord's table tonight. But the focus is on what we're doing tonight. That's not the focus. We're not sitting there and saying, what we're doing in the present is bringing us grace, or it's forgiving our sin, or it's accomplished something. No. Even though we're going to be here tonight in the present, the focus is what happened 2,000 years ago. After the same manner also, he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament of my blood... This do as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Now notice, he talked about the bread and the cup. He says in there, in verse 24 and 25, he mentions it as his body and his blood. But yet when this last verse, as he comes back, he says, for as often as you eat this bread, he doesn't say as, as often as you eat the Lord's flesh, his body. And he says, and drink this cup. He doesn't say, and you drink his blood. He's right back to what it truly is. What we're going to have tonight is nothing to do with flesh or blood. It has to do with the bread and a cup. And not even a fermented wine, but of unfermented juice. That's the picture. That's the picture. Jesus, the night, uh, of the, uh, the night before he died, said, I will no longer drink of the vine. That's not there by accident. It didn't say wine. You take grapes, you squeeze them in a cup, you drink it. What do you got, wine? No, the fruit of the vine... Is grape juice. That's the fruit of the vine. You have to go through a process to get it to be oinos like people, you know, like to drink today. So all we're saying here, everything in here, it's the focus is in the past. The focus is not on us. The focus is always on Christ. And the focus is not on our work. When we take the bread and the cup tonight, we're not doing anything to gain merit. God doesn't look down at us and think like, oh, look what they're doing. They're remembering about what my son I'm going to put a star next to Pastor. Well, maybe a half a star next to Pastor Floyd's name. No, two stars next to your name, Pastor. Okay. There's no merit there. What we do tonight does not forgive us sin. It does not get us any closer to heaven. All that's been done. This is not a reward, something we get a reward. This is remembered. So that's what that's talking about. Very quickly, does anybody want to make a comment about 1 Corinthians 11? Going, going? Yes, sir. Yes. Well, they couldn't have
1: any, they had unleavened bread. That's right. Because there's no, so I think you use yeast to make wine and alcohol, I, I believe. So the yeast is leavened. So what you said about the wine would be juice rather than wine because right. the leaven for the pastoral
0: the meal. If it was a fermented grape, then it would be a picture of sin. Right. That's what it would right. be. And that can't be. Thank you for that point of necessity. We did it one time. I'll just say, people in this culture, they don't understand. When they hear the word wine in 2023, they think an alcoholic beverage. But back in Christ's day, the word for wine in the Bible, not in Hebrew, but in Greek, was oinos. If you had a fermented wine, what was that called? It's called oinos. If you had wine that was fermented, but you uh, uh, diluted it with water, what do you call that now? Oinos. Oinos. Well, if you go out and grab a grape and put it in a cup and drink it, it's just grape juice. What do you call that? It's oinos. It's always the same word. But it means different things. And in the context of taking the Lord's table, if we would try to have fermented wine tonight with a piece of bread, we'd be in violation of what the scripture teaches. Thank you. Let's go to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. I've got there verse 11, but it starts when you get there. Hebrews 10, 10 through 14. Hebrews 10, verses 10 through 14. Anybody want to read that? If you're going to, you gotta tell me quickly. Okay, brother Klein. Thank you. You can't get away from it. It is so clear. It's, it's once for all. Why? Because it's a perfect work. If it has to be repeated, well, it can't be perfect. That's why it's once for all perfect. That's why we could say it is finished. Now, it's funny because when uh, the author of Hebrews said there in verse 11, his brother read that every priest standeth daily ministering and offering, he was thinking about the Levitical, the Arianic priesthood of Israel. But it's the same thing today. The Episcopal Church has priests, but we're talking about Roman Catholicism. This idea that the work of Calvary has to be brought down in every Mass, this ongoing thing, by the fact that they do it every day is the basic violation. If it's something that you're doing repeatedly at every Mass, and there's thousands of Masses and thousands of churches every day, I'm going to use the strong, they're basically, in a sense, spitting in the face of God. Because God says, I'm sending my son. Unlike the Levitical priest, the blood of bulls and bulls can never forgive sin. My son, he's not of the order of Aaron. He's of the order of Melchizedek. There's only one priest in this priestly line. That's my son, Jesus Christ. And so when he does it, he'll do it perfectly. And it's done. It's complete. So I don't understand the theology of Rome. It's a non-theology. It's an anti-theology. Jesus does not want to come back down. He endured it. He did it. Nothing pleasant about it. He didn't like doing it. He had the joy, but that's different than enjoying it. 1 Peter chapter 3. Anybody want to read 1 Peter chapter 3? Yes, sir.
1: to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened
0: by the Spirit. Thank you, sir. Now, there's other verses, other passages, but due to the time and, and these are, as we looked at from John, 1 Corinthians, Hebrews, brother, just read, thank you, Marty, uh, just read uh, 1 Peter 3. There is nothing you can find in the Scripture of God that talks about continuing and ongoing. Now, if you want to invent a system of religion by man, then you can come up with that. That's why I say that the Roman Catholic people, we talk usually in Bible-believing circles, if you, can you think of a cult? And they say, well, the Mormons, the, you know, the Latter-day Saints, they're, they're a cult. Yes, they are. The Jehovah's Witnesses, now, don't they classify as a cult? Yes, they claim to be Christians, but they're not. Seventh-day Adventists, yes. Yeah, a lot of people have been uh, you know, deceived by them and the Mormons. But yeah, the Seventh-day Adventists, yeah, they'd be considered as a cult. But usually you never, ever hear people talking about the Roman Catholic Church as a cult. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, the Roman Catholic Church is the largest non-Christian cult in the world. Now, what I'm going to do is, I want you to turn, please, to the passage, John chapter 6, please. This is the ground zero. I have here the, published in 1970, this is a modern translation. This is a Roman Catholic Bible. Now, you follow along in your Bible is I'm going to read this passage starting in John chapter 6, verse 48 down to 63. And again, let me remind you, if you're saying, why is he reading out of a Catholic Bible? To show you that their own Bible proves them wrong. Okay? And you say, how can that be? Why don't they understand it? According to Scripture, here's the reason. It sounds harsh, but it's true. Because they're spiritually dead. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it's not that Scripture is hard for them to understand. Yea, verily, it's impossible. They can't understand it. Verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the desert, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven for a man to eat and never die. I myself am the living bread come down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he shall live forever. The bread I will give is my flesh. For the life of the world. At this the Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, How can he give us his flesh to eat? Thereupon Jesus said to them, Let me solemnly assure you, If you do not eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, You have no life in you. He who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has life eternal, And I'll raise him up on the last day, For my flesh is real food and my blood real drink. The man who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the Father who has life sent me, and I have life because of the Father, so the man who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, unlike your ancestors who ate and died nonetheless. The man who feeds on this bread shall live forever. He said this in the synagogue, Instruction, at Capernaum. After hearing his words, many of his disciples remarked, this sort of talk is hard to endure. How can anyone take it seriously? Jesus was fully aware that his disciples were murmuring in pro- protest at what he had said. Does it shake your faith, he asked them? What then if you were to see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Now Notice this verse. He's giving them the answer. They're confused, and he's giving them the answer. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words I spoke to you are spirit and life. Yet among you there are some who do not believe. Jesus Christ, in speaking this, was using a metaphor He was using an analogy. He was saying that in the same way that the only way to benefit flesh and blood is to eat physical food, so the way to benefit your spiritually, in a metaphor, is to taste is to eat spiritual food. And so he's speaking metaphorically, and they're taking him literally. Now, when he says that here, he, he kind of challenges them, and he says, you know, you can't really understand what I'm doing? I mean, are you really that dense? Are you that confused? Don't you understand? I'm, I'm using an illustration. I'm using a metaphor. And he, and he says, wow, if, if, if this is something you trip over, he says, well, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascend to where he... If you think this is difficult, if you, can't, if you can't understand what I'm saying here by way of an illustration, then pff, you're not going to understand much. Now, get this. His disciples were having a hard time about the body and the blood, eating the flesh and drinking the blood. They were like, like what in the world? How, how can he say that? The Jews, uh, the Pharisees, they were following him. They were saying that, and they're like, this is, this is not right. This is not right. Why would that be? Turn back to Leviticus chapter 17, folks. I need someone to read, if they will, Leviticus 17. And I want you to read, what does it say on your sheet there? You can see where it says Leviticus. Yeah, somebody read verses 10 through 14. Anybody want to do that? Help us out here? Yoo-hoo! Anybody out there? Okay, Carolyn, read... Thank you. Now, hearing what she read, <clears throat> thank you, from Leviticus. We can certainly understand how it was that when Jesus was teaching and he talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, all his listeners, whether it was disciples or the Pharisees or the Sadducees, or the, they were all Jews. And they were very familiar with the law of Moses. Moses was their great leader. So when he's talking about doing this, he's violating what she just read in Leviticus chapter 17. They're listening to the one they're following. The disciples are saying, he's advocating cannibalism. That goes against the law of Moses. We've heard our Lord and Savior, our Master, say that not one jot or tittle of the law, but but all of it will be accomplished. And yet he says this to us? Even the disciples said, no, there's something wrong here. No, 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 no. And especially the leadership. Of course, they were always looking for a, a reason to crucify him. So they're like saying, like, oh, did you hear what he just said? He just, he just said Moses is wrong. Yeah, We got him right. Where you know what the problem was with their listening? They were taking him literally. That's what the problem was. And that's what he has to correct. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. I was using... A metaphor. I, I know it's, but don't you understand? It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words I spoke to you are spirit and life. Don't take what I'm saying literally. It's an illustration. It's a metaphor. Do you know who's joined the group with the disciples and the Pharisees? The Roman Catholic Church. They're taking it literally. Literally. They haven't learned a thing from John chapter. This, this is the, well, it says right here, you know, feeds my blood, you know, it says right here, you've got to do it. Yeah, that, that, that's true, it does say it up there, but uh, you want to get on to verse 62 and 63 and read that? Because that gives the explanation of what he really meant. And finally, while we're here, you see there, I want to move on then. I want you to turn back, if you will, please, uh, to Psalm 34 will you please Psalm 34 Now this is the last time I'm going to read out of the New American Bible here Because we have here in Psalm 34 you go down to verse 8 We have an Old Testament verse that is speaking the same way as our Lord Jesus was speaking to the crowd in John chapter 6. Same thing. Is there anybody in the crowd this morning here, the group, that would like to read Psalm 34 verse 8? Anyone? Go ahead. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I'm going to read it in the New American. Similar. Taste and see how good the Lord is. Happy the man who takes refuge in him. If the Jews would have been thinking about this verse, it would have given them their answer. Now, you don't have this Roman Catholic Bible. I have down here, just like in our Bibles, we have study Bibles and so forth and so on. There's some comments down here. Now, this is a Roman Catholic. This is some Roman Catholic scholar doing their little comment on the verse that she just read. It says there, Taste and see. This is figurative language for know by experience. There's the answer. That's an answer we could give. It says there, in other words, when it says taste and see, that's if we want food. In other words, and believe me, I've, I've experimented this quite a bit. Here's some food sitting here, okay? What was that? (laughs) Here's some food set in here. Yeah, it really looks good. My mother-in-law's not made it, okay? (laughs) She's in heaven right now. (laughs) Doris was a sweet lady. She just couldn't cook. Anyway, so (laughs) here's some food. Oh, wow. Mmm, that's fried liver and onions. I know everybody likes them, okay? you taste it. Oh, wow. Would, would you like something? No, just smelling it. I am stuffed. No. This food is external to you. There's only one way that it'll do you any benefit. You must take it, and you must taste it, chew it. So you must internalize it. That's the only way it's going to benefit you. Now, in the spiritual realm, instead of saying taste and see, we could put that word trust and see how good the Lord is. Happy the man who takes refuge in him. Could you read one more time the last, in your, uh, in your, I said the man who takes refuge in him. What does yours say?
1: Blessed is the man who trusted in him.
0: There you go. And that's basically what Jesus was doing. This, this unbelievably, this is ground zero, where Rome tries to go here to say, we must have this ongoing, the bread must be changed into the flesh. The wine must be changed into the blood in this ongoing, never-ending process. Now, I'm going to close this Bible. Anybody, before we go to the next portion of the lesson here, is anybody who have a, a comment or a question, something? Pastor. Yes, yes, they would. out. That's funny because, uh, not funny, haha, but I mean, it, it leads into what we're going to do here. One of the, uh, this, I'll just throw this in. I've got a couple of minutes here. Back around 1980, I was a chaplain's assistant with the Michigan National Guard, and every year we went to, to Camp Grayling, and as a cha- I, I was at the chapel. Now, the chapel was used by both Roman Catholics and Protestants. So there was a priest there one day with me, and uh, he pastored a a Catholic church down in the Detroit area. And so, when you had the Protestant service, you had the cross where the crucified Christ was was behind so you couldn't see it. You had uh, just the cross. But when it was going to switch over to the Roman Catholic service, I had to turn it around so the body faced out so Christ was on the cross. So he looked up and he saw the the Protestant there, and he said uh, we're going to have a mass next hour. And I says, okay, I'll turn it around to the corpus. And he stopped. Corpus? You got some Catholic in you? You know, he says, I've never heard of." They'll talk about the body, but they don't, they don't say corpus. So I told him, I said, yeah, I was raised Catholic, blah, 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 corpus. And he says, I'm going to tell you something. This is interesting. He said, I'm going to tell you something. And you never tell it to anybody else. He said, nobody would believe you anyway. He said, I am ordained seminary Roman Catholic priest. He says, I do not believe in transubstantiation. In his thinking, when he lifts up the bread, he brings down the bread. When he lifts up the wine, he brings down the wine. I told him, I says, I think his name was Father Bortz or something like that. I says, I said, that's the core of your belief, is the Mass and Holy Eucharist. He says, I know. He says, but I just don't believe it. Wow. But no, he's the, definitely the exception to the rule. No, they believe through the do- their sacrament of holy orders that there is, they have this power given to them through this. Now, uh, I'm going to read, you know, have you ever heard if you're going to be doing teaching, KISS, keep it simple, stupid, all right? I'm going to violate that right now. I want to read from the Roman Catholic Dictionary, three things, and I want to read from the Catechism, two things. Why? Do I want you to understand it? No. I want you to hear it and realize it's not scripture, but it's a bunch of religious gobbledygook. There's no way you can understand it. Because what I'm about to read is solely based on a human, man-made, religious system. It does not touch the reality of of the word of God anywhere. What I'm about to read, you say, where do we find that in scripture? Don't look. You won't find it. It's not there. All right, so here we go. Pastor, you talked about this very thing. Very apropos. Uh, the Holy Eucharist. I may make a comment, but now listen here. The sacrament known as Holy Communion, in which under the appearance of bread and wine, it always looks like bread and wine. It never changes. You know, you don't pick up it as like a piece of flesh, like, ooh. No, it's always under bread and wine. The body and blood of Christ are truly and substantially present, thus enabling man to receive supernatural grace, so very necessary for the saving of his soul. So they believe that receiving of this helps you in getting saved or going to heaven. The ultimate union with our Lord Jesus Christ. The origin of the word Eucharist comes from our Lord giving thanks at the Last Supper. Only a priest or bishop may say Mass, at which time the Eucharist is consecrated. In many respects, the Holy Eucharist may be termed the greatest of sacraments, and Catholics should take advantage of the sublime opportunity to receive Holy Communion frequently and devoutly. Okay, so why should they, why should they take that opportunity? All right? I'm going to turn over here. Let's just see. Got to go to the next one, page 41. Okay, this one is now the Mass. Now understand, two different words, Eucharist and Mass. But if you're Catholic, it's two ways of saying the same thing. The Eucharist is the Mass. When you hear, we say on Sunday what? We're going to go to church. We're going to go to a worship service. Have you ever heard of Catholic? They, don't, they say they're going to go to Mass. They're going to attend Mass. That's the worship service. But the worship service, the core of it, is Holy Eucharist, the Mass. The unbloody sacrifice of the body and blood of Christ. There's no such thing. When Jesus went to the cross, was it an unbloody sacrifice? No, there's... It's the unbloody sacrifice of the body of the blood. Well, it's not that. The renewal, the renewal, the ongoing continuation of our Lord's sacrifice upon the cross at Calvary. The priest, as the representative of Christ, takes his place and offers to God bread and wine, which he then changes into the body and blood of Christ at the consecration. The sacrifice is brought to completion with the consumption of the sacred. Ser- you know, they like we eat tonight they take of it, of the sacred species in accordance with Christ's instructions. So mystically, in a mysterious sacramental way, it's the body and blood of Christ. But in appearance, it always looks like bread and wine. And then finally, before I move on to the dictionary, where's this third one here? Page 66. Because this is just page after page. It's just like, hey... You want to talk about the National hour? Okay, here we go. Now, hang on to this one. Here's the other one. Transubstantiation. Got every letter in the dictionary twice. Okay. The change at the consecration of the Mass of the whole substance of bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. The physical appearance of bread and wine remains unchanged. It is defined by the Council of Trent. That was... 1546 to 1573, as the wonderful and singular conversion of the whole substance of the bread into the body of Christ, and the whole substance of the wine into the blood, the species of bread and wine alone remaining. It was also declared an article of faith by the Council of Trent after the 16th century Protestants had denied it. They said of people like us who say it's just in remembrance, it's just bread and wine, that we are to be accursed. We are to be anathema because we're not saying it's what it truly is. Now, those three things there, this is, that's a Catholic dictionary. Again, how much of that that I, did, that I read can you find being taught in the Scripture? Zip. All right, now here's the Catechism. Two readings. And there's page after page of the Sacrament of the Eucharist. Now, there's seven of them. But as they said, this is the heart. This is the core. If you take Holy Eucharist away from the Catholic Church, you don't have the Catholic Church. Here we go. At the Last Supper, on the night he was betrayed, our Savior instituted the Eucharistic sacrifice of his body and blood. This he did, get this, in order to perpetuate the sacrifice of the cross throughout the ages until he should come again. And so to entrust to his beloved spouse, the church, a memorial of his death. Now that part they got right. But how can it be a a memorial if it's ongoing? It's it's self-contradictory. And resurrection. A sacrament of love, a sign of unity, a bond of charity, a Paschal banquet in which Christ is consumed, the mind is filled with grace, and hear this. And a pledge of future glory is given to us. A pledge. God makes a pledge to you that if you're a Catholic, you need to go to Holy Communion, receive the Holy, as much as possible, because grace is bestowed. And as grace is bestowed and put into your bank, therefore it increases the chance that when you stand before God and he reviews your life, you have a better chance of going to heaven because when you had every opportunity, you took the Holy Eucharist. Now, one more. Just one more to read here. Let's just say I've got to find the page here. Page 356. And believe you me, I'm just flying over the treetops. Here's the last thing. Having passed from this world to the Father, Christ gives us in the Eucharist the pledge of glory with Him. Participation in the Holy Sacrifice. You notice that? In the Holy Sacrifice. It wasn't just the Holy Sacrifice on that day in Jerusalem. But if you go to Mass today and you take communion, you're participating in the sacrifice. Because it's, it's ongoing. Identifies us with His heart. Sustain, sustains our strength along the pilgrimage of this life. Makes us long for eternal life. And unites us even now to the church in heaven, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and all the saints. Now, what in the world does the Blessed Virgin Mary have to do with Holy Eucharist and getting us to heaven? Here's how How did the Savior of the world get into the world? Mary birthed him. If there would have been no Mary, he wouldn't have been born we wouldn't have the Savior. So by the very fact she is who she is, she plays the role. She has an official title, get this, co-redemptrix. Jesus is not only your Savior, but Mary also is your Savior. Jesus and Mary. Actually, if you see the cult of the mother and child, if you see the Pieta, Mary's the adult. It's, she's bigger, she's Mary's up there and she's standing at the cross and in her agony and her sorrow of seeing her son, she's joining in with his agony, with his suffering. She's participating with it. So Rome is teaching not in the Holy Eucharist, not only you are partaking of the sacrifice of Christ, but the Blessed Virgin Mary is there helping to save you also. And you wonder why the Catholic Church has such devotion to Mary? She's part of the ticket to get you to heaven. Now, I have a last little statement, but what I just read out of the dictionary, or I'll say one other thing. This is amazing. Remember I told you about how Pope Francis last December did this thing about blessing the, uh, the, uh, the unions, blessing the couples? This catechism came out with Pope John Paul II in 1994. He died in 2005. From 2005 to 2013, uh, Cardinal, Ratzinger was Pope Benedict, or Pope, yeah, Pope Benedict. Then Francis came on in 2013. He is the one who led in the investigation and the canonization of Pope John Paul II. And it is this Pope today, Francis, who looks at the teachings of this cat. If you read what it talks about in here about that topic, it says there's no way that kind of union can be blessed at all. This was under Pope John Paul II. The present pope says, that's too narrow, that's too rigid, that's not loving. We need to make it that the priest can bless these couples. So that's just a little sidelight. But after these definitions, as I said, what do you understand from this biblically? Nothing. It's totally 100% based on a false counterfeit cult, a man-made form of religion, known as the Roman Catholicism. Anybody want to comment? Joe? Um, so I uh, may be
1: misunderstanding, but what's the difference that Catholics, uh, what's the difference between the, the grace that uh, we obtain through uh, confession and forsaking of sin? Um, like our Lord's Supper, we go to the Lord in remembrance and we forsake our sin. We do that. Mm-hmm. Um, their Lord's Supper, and, and like they go Mm-hmm. Is there two types of graces for them in that?
0: Or? Not really. It's the difference is is this, is that biblically we understand when we see the word grace or charisma that it is an undeserved, it's an undeserved favor. That's what grace means by definition. It's undeserved favor. When God says my my grace is upon you, it means his favor is upon you. But it's not because of anything you've done. It's not a response to your goodness, no. His grace on you is, as was said by uh, Brother Barber and many times by our pastor, is that it's in spite of us. We don't deserve grace. We actually deserve justice, which would land us in the lake of fire. In Catholicism, they use the same word, grace. They will at times say uh, grace is God's favor, but in this idea of of earning grace and uh, sanctifying grace, that's a different kind of a grace. That's a grace where God looks favor upon, favorably upon you because your holiness, your goodness, your righteousness, so you've earned that grace. And that's what it's talking about here. When they go to Mass this morning and they will have the Lord's table, they will have Holy Eucharist, they will receive that. And in their theology, by doing that, they will have earned a little bit of God's favor, a little bit of God's grace Because they did that. Anybody else that thought, we're going to go right here and then we'll come back to you? Yeah, they can say that, but obviously that has nothing to do with with the Bible. It's nothing to do with reality. And first of all, I'm not challenging you, but a hot spot, when we say that they worship Mary, oh no, we don't. They would say, we venerate Mary, we honor Mary. I say, do you pray to Mary? Yes. Prayer is an act of worship. So take your little word veneration and put it someplace else. Okay? If you pray to Mary, that's an act of worship. Not only that, that's calling her deity. Because every single Christian on planet Earth right now could be praying to God. And God, because He's infinite, He's going to listen to you as if you're the only person praying to Him. He doesn't say, wait a minute, wait a minute, it's confusing. Some of you be quiet, and I'll call upon you later on. No, 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 no. Mary, whatever she is and in heaven, she's glorified, she's a wonderful lady, she's the mother of the Christ, but she's not God. If you've got, she does not, they, you don't pray to her because no matter what she is, she's still a human. She's still finite, okay? When she goes to heaven, I, I'm not even going to go into it. I'm just trying to say not only is it not proper, but it's impossible. She could not hear all the prayers of people. So that, that priest or whoever it was said that. But what that priest is showing when he says that is his total ignorance of Scripture. Brother Klein. Uh, The consecrated hosts uh, are consumed by the priest. Yeah, he will eat the rest of those consecrated hosts. And if there's a a high mass on Sunday in a large church, there will be more than priests, but uh, they will be consumed. Yeah, they're not thrown away because they're consecrated, but they will be consumed. I want to read one last thing here, just as a closing remark. At every Roman Catholic mass, the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ on the cross instead continues. Christ declared it is finished. Rome responds, no, it's ongoing. Here their are catechism. Our participation in Holy Eucharist brings merit to us. Our action helps secure his pledge of eternal life through Christ and the Blessed Virgin Mary. This isn't just a difference of view. This is apostasy. This is abomination. This is blasphemy. The Roman Catholic Church is a false Christian cult. That's what it is, Pastor.